Welcome to this week's anime podcast. This week it's going to be slightly different. Uh, it's just going to be two of us, uh, James and myself, and we're going to be just having an open discussion. No, we haven't really pre-planned this in any way other than our life experience and our own his interest in history. We're going to have a kind of open discussion about the idea of Scottish independence. Uh, we might get into other ideas, maybe a bit about the, the kind of what, what Scotland was like when it was independent. How did it have a role in the empire? Is there a case to be made for a left wing uh, from the left for an independent Scotland and other things as well. Uh, and this week uh, I'm going under the gypsy handle uh, Rubbing Roy um, after the rather mythologized Rob Roy. And uh, James is going under <laughs> going under the excellent gypsy handle Jessica Alba, uh, which works on so many levels, if you know what I mean. Um, how are you doing, James? Hi, how are you getting on? Um, going old school this episode for for viewers that don't know, me and Alex actually met in Scotland and we used to live together in Edinburgh for two, three years, maybe? Somewhere in there. I think it was, I think it was about two and a half years or so. Because yeah. we lived, in theory, we first lived together on, um, it wasn't Bread Street. It was in the, the, the street that led on from Bread Street. I can't, it's so long ago now, I can't remember. But then we lived on... Um, Upper Grove Place uh, for about two years uh, together, um, but yeah, no, we, you know, much experience with Scotland. And we were there uh, in 2011 when the SNP won its uh, landslide in the Scottish Parliament when they said they were going to have a, a referendum on Scottish independence three years later. Uh, I left literally a couple of, well, I think it was half year before the independence referendum. Mm, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, which wouldn't have made a difference. It was one vote, and there was many, many. Uh, I would have had to um, pretend to be a whole list of dead people. Anyway, for those of you who um, maybe are first time listeners to this podcast, uh, we do have a. I have some street cred, but Scotland's uh, obviously James has street cred, as does Will, who used to appear in this podcast before he masochistically disappeared up. Uh, I wasn't going to say his own ass. He disappeared off into a uh, a wonderful masochistic uh, uh, work to life balance. So uh, we do know a bit about what we're talking about. I suppose maybe we'll just open it with a simple question, which is, what's your feelings now, James, on the idea? We'll just start with just the idea. Uh, your feelings rather more you know, so than facts, because you went through the gambit. You, I don't think you went door to door, but you were really invested in the re referendum in 2014. At least you thought, OK, this is a, a goer. Uh, obviously, it was a very disappointing result. So what's your feelings at the moment? Yeah, very complicated, I guess, because uh, it's something that I think about quite a lot. I basically moved from Scotland because I was so disheartened and so um, annoyed and upset by the way that the the way that the vote went. I felt very betrayed by a lot of Scottish people. I was really sickened by the way that the media system had perpetuated lots of myths and um you know i'd basically gone out of its way to make sure that the um, as it would do and we all knew it was going to as well but i think it was it was even a surprise um to someone like me who you know studied media and is you know holds chomsky to the very forefront of their their mind when they're they're thinking about media to even see the way that um you know the bbc uh and every news outlet basically 
turned on Scotland uh, in a various of different guises to Jen just being like, knowing that you're going to be living under Tory rule one way or another for the foreseeable future. I was very much the case of like, yeah, uh, I don't want to live here anymore. And now I live in Ireland, which has its own host of problems. But if anything, all it's done is just given me more ammunition to get a united Ireland and an independent Scotland on the go. Yeah, I mean, my own feelings on it are, which is I've always been in favour of it, but I, I think my um, my father, who I don't really talk to, though I did have the misfortune of staying with him during the pandemic, he said that I seem to be overly in, in, interested in, in, in the breakup of the UK, and he also said of, of the USA. At the time, we were having an argument about Trump, who he loves. But anyway, in regards to the US, the UK, yeah, I am. I, I mean, I do feel that even for England, in a rather perverse way, it would be better if the UK broke up. Uh, for Because England's problems are so much, much worse than Scotland or Ireland's. I mean, there's, there's a whole raft of fucking problems in England, which we've gone over in other episodes. And I've always felt that Scotland is, for so in so many ways, like a the way I wish like Ireland would be, because like Scottish people... You know, and there's people who go to Fetty's College or whatever, or just or Harriet Walsh or Dicks, and we met them. But for the most part, I I never felt the Scottish people like were. I just never understood how they how it kind of it was a relationship that I never understood with England. And even though I've read a lot about 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 Scottish history and how the union happened, I've always felt it was a weird match because Scottish people have a much better sense of their own weaknesses, their own strengths. Well, maybe not so much their own strengths, but certainly have a very humorous view of their own own weaknesses and have a much more, I wouldn't say left-wing opinion, but there's a more communal uh, view about how poverty should be dealt with. Um, even if, if it's not socialist, it's not cruel. There's not a this this view of the poor in Scotland that they are, they, they have to be wiped out. Um, you know, and I, I felt that that just was not something that would ever be facilitated with in the UK. So my view on Scottish independence is not much changed from when I lived in Scotland, which is it's, it's a no-brainer. I suppose what we need to do there is kind of unpack, if we can, why Scotland is so different. And that's a fucking long question, which we don't, we're not going to go into wholly. But since Scotland is the topic in James Scottish, why, I mean, I mean, Scotland was an independent nation from the vast, well, an independent kingdom entity for the vast majority of its history. Uh, what thing, what do you think makes Scotland different? Uh, and you can, I obviously refer to things in the past, but what, uh, like, in, in your mind, makes Scotland different from England? Yeah. Why, I think, is a very interesting question that I don't really have too many answers for. I think to some extent, it would be maybe, I mean, I don't think a lot of people in England have this idea that Scotland is sort of more inherently left wing, which I don't think is true. Because, um, you know, Scotland's got its huge problems, but it certainly doesn't foster the right wing to the same extent. Um, and that is partly because of how poor Scottish communities are, and the way that it's seen that it's and partly because it's mostly true, uh, it was England's fault for for doing that. When you say look at the way that the 
you know, mines were closed down and um, the shipyards were closed down uh, and situations like that. Um, the way that Thatcher used the poll tax in Scotland is, you know, um, first to give it um, a dry run before sending it everywhere else. There is always that sort of sense that um, because you want to be, because you sort of hate the English so much, you want to be the opposite of them. Um, you sort of arbitrarily just take the opposite opinion, I guess. And you would think that Ireland would be more like that, but there's a weird sort of um, post-colonial thing going on in Ireland, I think. And lots of people just seem to um, want to emulate a lot of the, the worst excesses, especially of the middle classes anyway. Um, or obviously the working class of Ireland tend to be a different kettle of fish. And I, I think that Scotland really doesn't have a post-colonial trauma because it, it was never really colonised. It was a much, much more equal um, part of the Union um, than Wales or Ireland. And... It, it's just through quirks of history. There's no, you know, there's nothing inherently about the Scottish people that you know made us better fighters or um, able to deal, you know, beat off the English for for long enough. It was just quirks of history led to that point where we joined with the Union rather than be forced into the Union. I mean, I, I think you have to kind of nod. I mean, just briefly because we don't have time to be talking about every nook and cranny of Scottish history. But it should be said that the Highlands and the Islands of Scotland are very different from the Lowlands and how the Lowlands developed and their language and religion and industry and, you know, all sorts of different things developed very, very differently and how they then allied with England and to some degree Wales and Ireland to kind of <clears throat> colonise uh, in a different way to how Ireland was colonised, but it's a form of colonisation of the Gaelic Islands. I think it, you have to kind of at least nod towards that as being a form of colonisation, uh, even if it's complicated. Uh, but for the most part, you know, it, that's very poorly remembered outside of the Highlands. Uh, and even those who were of, of Gaelic heritage in the South, in the, in the Lowlands of Scotland, um, I kind of found a way because of how Scotland was at the time, the kind of the emerging of, of jobs and industry and and the empire, they found a way to accept it in a way that Ireland never did. That there wasn't a lot of um, kind of positives about the colonization experience for Ireland. Uh, there were some, but there weren't, weren't many. And the experience of kind of the native elite in Ireland being kind of wiped out, whereas in the Highlands, they were kind of uh, brought in from the cold and were made part of the establishment in a way in, in Ireland that they weren't for religious reasons, which we don't need to go into. But I mean, the thing that's, that's important there is that Scotland, I, I do think Scotland was, was different in a very fundamental level from Ireland and, and, and England because Scotland, because of the reformation had its own tradition of, of militarism and its own separate tradition of education. They were very big on getting people educated. There was a welfare system in Scotland far more advanced than anywhere else in Europe, really up until the 19th century. And so the idea of the poor being needed to be taken care of, not I mean, again, they weren't like, hey, let's bring beggars in off the street. But there was an acceptance that these people need to be fed. There needs to be uh, you know, provisions there that the community has a responsibility to help members of the community, if you will. And I just don't that 
never existed here for complicated reasons, never existed in England for less complicated reasons, just sheer greed and the power of the kind of the Norman ascendancy there. But I do think you maybe um, you kind of have to bring in the fact that Scotland was, you know, a far more empathetic, if you want to call it that. I don't know, maybe that's the wrong word, but that there was roots there going back into the 15 and 1600s of a society which understood poverty not as something that was the fault necessarily of the beggar of the poor person, but as a problem of society, you know, that that's not the way Ireland and England think. Yeah, exactly. I mean, a good example um, would be that the, you know, the potato famine also affected Scotland, especially on the, the West Coast up in the, the Highlands and um, in islands. Um, and there was deaths, but it was not nearly to the extent, obviously, as you know, the Great Famine of Ireland, and that was because there was poor relief. There was a sense that um, that these people had to be looked after, and so people from Edinburgh and Perth were either shipping food or money to these places. Um, and you know, lots of terrible things have happened in there, like the clearances, which is you know why my family, both sides of my. Um, my family from my, you know, my grandparents and my, you know, my granddad and my grandma's, um, you know, are all in Edinburgh because of the clearances. So I'm not saying it's a fucking bastion of, um, <laughs> of welfare systems, but, you know, it shows you that there's a sort of a more confidence in being Scotland, its place in the world and how you move forward being Scottish, which I think, um, it's almost American in that sense of like, yeah, you know, this is me, this is where I'm from, and there's good things, there's bad things about it, uh, but you just go with it, where English people just tend to, it's like a fucking schizophrenic nature that they have because uh, of the stories that they tell themselves. I think are very confused, where I think in Scotland the stories that you sort of tell yourself are just more coherent and confident. Does that make sense? Would you have maybe picked that up while we're um, while you were living there? I got the impression in in Scotland, which was it was that there was a, a sense of kind of the people who held power or held authority in society were on some level, while not the same as you, that they had the same. They had some interest in not letting you die in the street. Now, oftentimes that wasn't true, and the poverty was enormous in the Cowgate and in, in Glasgow, etc. I'm not pretending that you know the clearances weren't to a large degree the lowlands, you know, lairds taking advantage of the poor in the islands. That was there as well. But a lot of them ended up, you know, coming down into the lowlands and finding work in the cities, ending up in, in heavily in Canada, actually in the first half of the 19th century, in the Empire. Um, and whether they should have felt this way or not, they felt that. To some extent, they were still being, you know, supported. Not all of them felt that, of course, but some did. I think um, that obviously didn't exist in Ireland because the uh, aristocracy over here were overwhelmingly English, um, Anglo-Irish, you know, had been brought in as settlers. In England, we talked about this in another episode, the Norman episode, how there was always a disconnect between the aristocracy in England and and the poor, who always were seen as as the plebs, the, almost the conquered masses, and then in turn, the conquered masses saw the the aristocracy as a, uh, as on some level foreign in how they behaved, which is true. Um, so I, do, I think in Scotland you had a lot of advantages there, which was 
whether you knew it or not, there was a sense of cohesiveness. Um, and again, there's plenty of examples of where that breaks down, but fundamentally it survives and it survives through the union in, in 1707, survives through the empire, the clearances. Um, and I would say that, you know, the sense of Scotland becoming North Britain is maybe slightly exaggerated. I think Scotland always was allowed a degree of, of leniency with its, with its culture, with its sense of being, with its law. Of course, you had control of your own law, even the heart of the empire. You, had, you drew your own laws, you had your own education system, obviously your own church, which we weren't allowed our own church in Ireland. So, I mean, in many ways, Scotland was, because of your long, long histories of wars with the English, you had a lot more respect and for yourself, um, and your elite had a lot more respect for itself and, and how it behaved. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think that, I mean, there's, we, we don't need to go into the long, long history of Alba of Scotland going back into the fucking, you know, almost the Roman period. We don't need to go that far. It's a long history, but, you know, identifiably in, in early modern history, Scotland has its own separate way of being its own leash, which survives into the em empire period. You have your very first prime minister in the 1760s. Ireland really never had a prime minister that was you know, from the native elite, you know? I think that makes enormous difference to how you, uh, maybe not you in particular, but because you come from the kind of Gaelic background, but how the average Scottish person has a lot more confidence there that does does not exist in Ireland and does not exist in England. Yeah, I mean, it's worth saying as well is that we did very well out of the blood of the empire with not a lot of the drawbacks and the, the ongoing issues uh, whether right really wrongly that um, England has faced and I'm thinking in just in terms of maybe <sighs> for whatever reason and I'm not I'm not ever really 100% sure on this but say in somewhere like Edinburgh and Dundee and those areas and you know the further north you go the more it's true there is you know like Asian communities from India and Pakistan, um, but they're not big, they're not huge. Um, there's almost almost no uh, Afro-Caribbean communities, uh, very, very slim, um, which is, it's not great in terms, you know, it definitely makes the food a lot more bland to some extent. Um, but those like sort of the racial tensions that came in the 60s and 70s, Scotland pretty much sidestepped as well. Now there was, you know, not to say that Scotland isn't a fucking hugely racist place. Um, I think there was um, an Edinburgh, the Yardies tried to make inroads in the in the 80s, I think. If you know who the Yardies are, they're basically black um, Afro-Caribbean uh, gangsters um, and it should, be, it should be said, James, that you, you didn't need racial tensions because you had fucking religious tensions, which is why the yeah, fucking Orange Order existed. Yeah, true. We have got the Orange Order almost everywhere. But yeah, anyway, like people were apparently the Yardies just couldn't get a, a, a foothold in because people were so racist that they basically refused to buy the drugs from black people. So, you know, I'm not saying it's a bastion of, of non-racism, but that has had a, an effect in England where you see the racism that comes from these people effectively, like, you know, 
very complicated reasons why people have left India or Pakistan to, to move to fucking Salford or Leeds or something like that. I'm a place that I imagine that they probably didn't really want to go to all that much. Um, but yeah, you'd say that's like, in one sense, in a very broad sense, a way that I wouldn't agree with, but that's a sort of a drawback of the, of the empires, the fallout from that was that, you know, basically England had to give some sort of reparations to the Indian subcontinent by letting them have the ability to easily move to to England, but they never really made their way up to Scotland. Uh, maybe because you know it's fucking freezing up there, and um, you know a lot of <laughs> the, the south of India is um, is pretty temperate. So you're going to say because Scottish women are very attractive <laughs> <laughs> with that as well. Yeah, they're like oh, put them back. They're too pointy. Um, they are yeah. Scottish women are very pointy. Come to think of it, yeah. Um, so it's just little things like that. I think where in the the seventies and eighties, where there were these huge racial tensions in small towns and cities of England, they didn't really exist there in Scotland. So then that gives you another thing where you're you're coming into the nineties with you know a less sense of ridiculous racism unless you know it's against the catholics um but here listen there's good reasons for that as well Having... I, I, i'm not disagreeing i i, I will point out <laughs> the ira you know, deliberately avoided bombing you guys so you don't have as much to be complaining about though there's a fair amount of scots down in fucking canary wharf but that's a story for another day um i, I do think the i mean you're right the, the, the scotland did very well out of the empire and if you go to glasgow or you go to edinburgh you'll see that but also, like, go, Actually, go. Uh, just sorry to, I don't want to interrupt you too much, but it's really fucking amazing to me when I'm going around, you know, because we travel or uh, up until fucking COVID, you know, like almost every other month, we just try and get to a new place in, in Ireland. And in Scotland, pretty much every small town you go through, you will see some, um, something from the empire a building, if it's a bank, or it might just be the council office or a statue or something like that. There's at least, and in like really tiny, tiny towns as well, there'll at least be some sort of semblance of the empire there. Uh, and when you do it in, when you go to Ireland, like you don't really see that. It just like, they obviously just didn't build anything here <laughs> to make it more livable, where they definitely did in Scotland, you know? Well, it's it's different because it's. I mean, we could go into it, but we don't really have the time. Scotland um, comes in as much as the elite, you know. Um, so, okay, the elite in Ireland sign up to a union eighteen oh one. Who are the elite? They're Anglo Irish for the most part. Different religion, different uh, language, to some degree, still containing that kind of uh, colonial mentality. So you're not fucking asking Catholic kind of Gaelic natives in Ireland what their opinions were at the time. And in Scotland, it's more complicated because the native elite had been brought into the fold you know, pretty early on, but you know they're still making the decision. And that does have a role in how Scotland benefits from the empire. Your religion also helps as well. You're Protestant, if, if, if Presbyterian for the most part, that helps. In Ireland, there's a huge resistance against any type of change because it's seen that the, that the elite is not native, that they're foreign. Uh, and they're trying to impose, you know, a way a, a new system on the natives in quotation marks. So I do think it, it has a big role 
and how we, you know, we also resisted the empire in its in, in certain ways, but also benefited from it. But I mean, the thing I'm trying to say about that is that only to kind of kick off your point, Scotland does benefit. Uh, you can, we can go into how much it did or didn't, but it certainly benefited enough that you know you were a bastion of unionism. Uh, until relatively recently, we're not talking about that long ago, that Scotland began to move very slowly and very gradually towards a more nationalist point of view. You really have to get until the fucking 70s. I mean, I can't remember what year it is, but I think 74, maybe 77, the very first SNP MP is elected. It's not that long ago. Like, um, And the reasons are, you kind of just hinted at them earlier on, which is the empire was working for you guys or for the most part, was, uh, until it wasn't, until deindustrialization, the loss of the empire, the loss of the shipyards, all of that begins to bite. Um, and you start very slowly moving towards um, nationalism. But it is very, very slow, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's like a paywall picking up speed to w the point where it is now. But in, say, <clears throat> you know, like, when you first moved to Edinburgh, whenever that would have been, um, fucking ages ago now, we're talking, well, I've been here five years, so. 10 years, 10 years ago. T 10 years ago, there you go, crikey, bloody hell. <laughs> um, you know, I didn't really, I mean, it was fine being Scottish, but you didn't really think about it all that much. And, uh, and the way that, you know, this is before the, the fucking global economic crash as well. Uh, there was that sense that you were a global citizen. Um, and uh, so it didn't really matter being Scottish that much because you're like, oh, well, you know, I'm part of the UK, but if I fucking want to, I can just sit down lived in France if I want to or this, that and the other. So I thought it was kind of more, and at heart, I've always thought of being like a pan European Federalist in the, the guise of, um, you know, in the way that, uh, what's his name? The guy that wrote Liam is um, Hugo. Victor Hugo. Victor Hugo, yeah. Um, you know, so brilliantly writes about. And so something like the SP, he didn't really take too seriously because, you know, Labour were starting to slip to some extent um, because. Because you'd had Tory rule for so long, and they were sort of making things better in some ways. So, say in Edinburgh, when I was growing up in the in the nineties, uh, awful, awful um, homeless issue. And you know, by the getting to the end of Blair's term, I'm not saying that you didn't have any homeless people, but you certainly didn't fucking notice it as much. It was a it was a much nicer city to live in. Uh, you know, so I would I would say that there's a point out there. If you were to watch uh, Train Spotting, and then you were to go to Edinburgh in like 2009, I think you'd notice a very fucking big difference. Yeah. So you're actually, yeah. It was like a complete. It's like I've, you know, at the time that I've lived in Edinburgh, it's like living in three, four different cities. So you didn't really need the S and P. They weren't offering you anything because, again, Scotland was kind of doing all right. And again, it's not to say that we didn't have our problems and there wasn't woes, but you were getting some bang for your buck. And obviously, um, the Tories getting in is really, I think, what turned a lot of people to just being like, the Tories are fucking in again. And 
you know, Scotland used to vote Tory all the time. It used to be like, you know, Tory strongholds up until the 50s and 60s. But it was clear that Labour weren't working for it, for anyone. Um, and so it was like, oh, yeah, we'll give these S&P guys a punt. Because the, instead of being the way that Labour people are, who would then, you know, the best of Labour end up down in Westminster anyway, or, you know, it would actually go to fucking Oxford or things like that. You know, a lot of people in the S&P at that time, and a lot of them who are still going, like, you know, people like John Wishart or... Um, is it, is it Pete Wishart or John something or other? I can't remember now. Um, but yeah, they're like, they're sort of local lads. You'd see them down the pub. You know, they went to the school with your dad or whatever. You had a more, you know, a sense that they were actually there and they're, they're more accountable because you kind of know them, you know, their family. So it really started to snowball then. Um, and then, yeah, the idea that it was just like, oh yeah, actually maybe we can just fucking go on our own. And I think for a lot of people, it's just as simple as I just do not fucking want to live with the Tories anymore. That's uh, things as well, because I think the, the average Scottish person is far more, and I do even, even for the SNP, I think it's true, but, but certainly towards London, is far more critical, far more educated. And I don't mean that in a kind of, you have to go to school way. I mean, just knowing kind of how things work in a way that I just don't, I mean, I, I, English people are lovely, but there's, there's a there's a there's a toxicity there. There's a just like a a browbeaten forelock tuggingness um, in English. A lot of English people. That I you don't see that in, in the same way. I mean, if you meet Scottish people who were against independence, and I met plenty of them, there was not that thing of oh, you know, the, I love the fucking Queen. I want to lick her fucking clit. Um, there was none of that stuff was there. I mean, it was. I'm sure there's some people who are like that, but it wasn't anywhere near the same thing as in England. And I, I do think that, you know, besides just pure material reasons, there's, you know, older and just whatever reasons, their cultural personality things that just don't fly in Scotland, that if you're looking at John, Boris Johnson and you're in Glasgow, I mean, what the hell do you have anything to do with Boris Johnson, you know? Yeah, and even someone like, like Nicola Sturgeon, is just like a fucking different ballpark from someone like Boris Johnson. And again, she's not perfect, but she's damn so, you know, like a nicer person deep down and on the surface as well. She grew um, up in a scheme. She grew up in a scheme, man. She fucking ran yeah. for election. She lost seven elections before she won one. Because you think Boris Johnson would ever run seven times? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it, it's sort of like, you know, to put her in the same bracket as, say, Radker as well. I mean, it, like, here's the thing as well. Like, fucking Michael Martin is the one that's the, the Taoiseach, but no one fucking believes it because he's such a adult that there's, it's hard to take him seriously anyway. But just how snidey and awful and duplicitous Radker is, is such a fucking, like, West Brit mentality behind him where, like... In the you know the UK and Ireland, like Sturgeon just seems like a calm, like island in the middle of a storm. And I don't think she's great because she has got lots of terrible politics and instincts. But she you at least get the sense that her heart is in the right place. And how many fucking English or Irish politicians can you say that about? The great example of that is the baby box, which is just something so small, and yet. You know, there's 
she's like, okay, no, the state is going to make sure that every mother, no matter what their financial situation is, will have a box that will provide them with enough food, that will provide them with enough clothing for their child. There's not going to be a child in Scotland that's growing up under my watch that is not getting some start, you know? Yeah. And I think that, that does actually affect people in, in ways we don't really, like we're kind of very policy-driven people and ideologically driven. That's not how most people are. I think most people look at that and go, Jesus Christ, she's, she's not like Boris Johnson, who is more interested in creating babies than actually providing for them, you know, because God knows how many children he has, but he's not giving them baby boxes. Whereas she, who has no children, and sadly so, she, I think she wanted to have kids but couldn't, um, goes out of her way and seems to be a relatively normal person. And that ha affects people, again, in ways that we don't understand because we're too busy saying, saying, oh, what does she stand for with the NHS or something like that. But for most people, they look at her and go, does she seem like a sound person? And they go, yeah, she does seem like a sound person. Yeah. I mean, it, what it kind of boils down to, though, is because the polls are looking good for Scottish independence, which is what this episode's actually meant to be about, but we haven't even got to it, and it's like however many minutes... We have got to it, because we've been talking about how Scotland's different, and if you want to say, like, here's the thing, if you want to, if you want Scotland to be independent, what's the point if it's exactly the same as England? We're trying well, to make sure that Scotland is different, and that's why it should be. But that's that sort of sidesteps into my my worry quite well, which is there's been, you know, a good a good few years now since the last referendum. And in some shape or form, there's going to be another one. Um, and, I mean, we're both of the idea, because we heard someone on another podcast say this when we were doing the, the Norman episode, that Scotland independence is pretty much forewritten. It's just how is it going to play out? And it's probably not going to happen at the ballot box. But in that time... There hasn't been any movement on the policies that, like, kind of gave people pause for thought when it came to what, how was Scotland going to be independent and what it was going to look like. Because at the moment, it is just going to be much more the same. Really, the SNP are a neoliberal party. They will continue to. They're just a you know a little nicer about it. Um, and it, yeah, no, I do think it would be. It's better to be fucking out of the the shadow of Westminster because they're clearly on their on their way to some sort of like overt fascism rather than the the inherent fascism that it usually there. Um, but the Queen owns huge, huge chunks of Scotland. What are we going to do about that? Because we're probably going to fucking need that land as uh, as a head of state. Are you going to just take it? Or are you going to give reparations? Uh, is there not to be to just ask you this question? Is there not an argument to be made from the left for Scottish independence? And I think and I think there is, but I'd like to hear what you have to say. Well, I think there is, I, but I don't think the problem. I think or this is what I'm saying is the problem is is that the argument for Scottish independence kind of doesn't really have a left element to it at the moment, and that's where it's really lacking. Um, and uh, that really needs to be sorted out because if you're just going to be Ireland, you know, in the same situation that we are here, but in Scotland, then like, yeah, it will be better, but it's kind of a lot of fucking effort to go through to, to not be in a great situation. It's the time where you want to be really building 
something a lot better and a much nicer place to live in. Um, especially since we're going to have all the fucking water um, and England isn't uh, when it's not flooded. So, um, like, what's the monetary system going to be? That really fucked the S&P, I think, uh, at the last referendum because they were kind of just like, oh, we'll just have the pound. I was like, so you're just going to let the fucking English bank set the pound and what are you like, how are we going to print money? What are we going to do with it? Um, so it was all, you know, issues like that. None of them have really been addressed in that time. And I think that's a real failing. And I think the S&P are really coasting because they've got an easy game to play because all they, they can do is sort of just blame Westminster for all the issues. And the thing is, it's got a kernel of truth. But the S&P don't do a fucking damn sight uh, much to to enrich, you know, the situation. You know, we've seen in down in Preston that model that Labour were propagating, which is a fucking interesting and good model. Why are we not seeing something like that in, you know, places like Scotland? And that's because the S&P are a broad coalition of right wingers, some centre leftists, occasionally. I know a left-wing person, um, but they'll probably get chucked out of the party or find it very difficult in there. Um, that's kind of held together by one one sticking point, which is independence. But I don't really see them existing outside of independence. Um, but then you're pretty much going to end yourself in a Fine Gael, Fine Fall situation when they split, you know? Well, I think that's inevitable with any... I mean, you can look at almost every former colony. Uh, though Scotland is obviously not that. It's more complicated. But in Ireland or Kenya or fucking wherever, there's plenty of examples of the, of parties or independence movements that splinter into its different wings, its class wings. I don't think you can really... I think the SNP, you can't really look at them and not say that, you know? So, I mean... I think if you're on the left and you're looking at and you're in Scotland and you're looking at it, you say, well, well, what makes more sense? And I think you need to look at the way, and it's not perfect, but look at the way people vote in Scotland, uh, at polling and how, how the Scottish government uh, behaves, but also how the, the elections go. And you can go, there's a lot more room for a socialist alternative. If, if, that's, if you believe in parliamentary politics and that's what you want to do, Say you're not an anarchist, you're just listening to this because you're interested to hear what two smelly anarchists think. Um, you're looking and go, well, okay, I have more chances there. There's PR, there's more of a, a bedrock there of, of trade unionism of the left. You're going to have a lot more influence as the Green Party does in, in Scottish Parliament than you, if you have if you build a, a broad coalition there. I mean, Tommy Sheridan before he got caught out with sleeping with various uh, ladies of the night. Um, had a the social Scottish Socialist Party had a fair few members of um, of members of Parliament, and, and you can see in a, a way of, of, of affecting change if that's what you believe you need to do. Through that, I just can't see any way Westminster is going to change unless there's a in similar manner. But in the first past the post, and just in general, the media culture in in London is just is not reformable. Clearly, not reformable. And I just don't see why anyone who wants who you know wants things to change, who's realistic about that things t sometimes take a generation to change, would want believe that's going to happen through Westminster. You know, it, it has to happen separate from it. I mean, Ireland's problems are Ireland's problems. You know, fucking Leo Varadkar is 
our problem. It's very much our problem, <laughs> you know? And we can't blame that on other people. Uh, and in a good way, we, we, we shouldn't, you know? And in Scotland, if you have problems from what's, whatever the former leader of the Scottish Conservative Party was, you know, uh, Ruth, Ruth Davidson, it, Ruth Davidson's exists, you know? You can't pretend she's not Scottish. You can't pretend she doesn't represent the borders, because usually the borders of Scotland that believe that. Uh, and you can't pretend that the people up in the fucking Orkney aren't Lib Dems, you know? It, they exist, they're Scottish, and they have their opinions. But it seems, broadly speaking, that you could, that there's a there's a room there for the left to grab a bit of territory, if you believe in such things, and to try and make Scotland uh, uh, move it towards the left. I just, if you're, if you're on the left and then you're living in Scotland, that seems far more feasible and doable than trying to change Westminster. Am I crazy? Yeah, no, I, don't, I think you're you're right because, as you know, what will happen is, um, I mean, one, it would be very difficult for the left, you know, a party let to the left of the SNP to make headway at the moment, for various complicated reasons, but mostly just because, um, uh, you know, the SNP, for a lot of people, seem to be doing a lot of the right stuff. Um, in part for for the reasons that you know I was stating earlier, um, but also that would be a fucking gift to Robert Peston or Laura Kunzberg, where they could just be like, ah, oh, the crazy Scottish leftists, and they would just have a field day with that. You would just like really fucking struggle to to get anything done. Now you'd maybe hope that would backfire in some aspect, um, where you know it would give you some. I mean, you know, some coverage that you'd maybe be able to to gain a seat or two, but yeah, it would be so much easier in in an independent Scotland to actually um, get that wiggle room to uh, to get into you know parliamentary politics. But you know, obviously, as anarchists, we don't really we're not really that interested, or think that parliamentary politics is that important or has um, that much affecting on things. But I think in a new country like Scotland, it would be if it was independence, new to a certain extent. But yeah, would be. I wouldn't. So I wouldn't say that. Man. I, I would say that having a, even a, a person like Mary Black, um, who is certainly only in the SNP because you know the Labour Party sold out its principles. She's always said she's a Tony Tony Benite. You know, I think there is something to be said that even though I don't think it brings change, it does make things more palatable to the general public. And so I suppose, I suppose the way we should probably finish up with the obvious point, which is that um, at the moment, uh, Scottish independence is polling above 50%. When I lived in Scotland, it was polling at 28 to 30%. And in the end, the vote turned out to be 45% in favor of independence, despite the onslaught of media propaganda. I think there's a decent chance whoever's in charge, probably Rishi Sunak, it won't be BJ, it won't be Bar the blowjob king himself, Boris Johnson, who allows a referendum, but I, someone like Sunak, I could see it happening. Because um, if it was to happen with Boris Johnson, I think it would be 60% in favour of independence. He's a gift to fucking Scottish independence. Um, but yeah, I mean, if it was to happen, um, a referendum that is, and if it was to pass, Obviously, you have all the problems in front of you then after that. I mean, it's not a panacea for all the problems of the world. Clearly, Ireland has proven that. Um, but it does at least allow Scotland to have a political culture that is its own, 
You know, I mean, Ireland is the way it is because of Irish people to some degree. I mean, I would I'd not just Irish people, powerful and wealthy Irish people. And it would be the same with you guys. But um, I, I just have more hope that a Scotland would be able to be a fairer place than Ireland. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think you should look at Ireland and go, that's inevitably what, our, what Scotland would become. Because I think that the situation in Scotland is profoundly different. You know what I mean? Um, so, one, I don't think there would be a referendum anyway. Because I don't think even Rishi Shunak or anyone in the Conservative Party, and as Keir Starmer has said, or Keith Starmer, sorry, um, you know, it's pretty much said it's not going to happen. Um, because if it, if it goes through, it's just going to cause a headache for them. So it's better to just let it boil over in another way. Um, but also, I think one of the big differences between then and now is something like Brexit has happened. And, you know, I was big of a hoop, a uh, pain in the hoop as Brexit was, mostly because of, you know, Tory politics rather than it being all that complicated. People, you know, what put a lot of people off voting for independence was the idea of something that huge happening, uh, a huge change to the system. Um, people tend to just vote for the devil they know, where now it's a case of... Um, in some ways, voting for independence would be voting back to normality because it would definitely get back into the EU. Um, there would be um, uh, big changes, but uh, it probably wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be on the disaster scale of Brexit because you've got at least fucking competent people or people that want to be seen competent in charge where you know, the Tories are not interested in being competent or being seen to be competent because they don't have to be. They're not held to account by anyone. No, I agree. I mean, obviously we don't know what'll happen. I, I think um, I've always felt Scotland's independence in some form is inevitable. And just because different culture, different kind of um, way of being, different way of thinking, however it happens, obviously we can't know. And whether there is a referendum or there's some type of political... Um, Horse trading, who knows? I don't think we know. Um, as to what happens if there is Scottish independence or when there is Scottish independence, again, that's it's 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 up to the left in Scotland to try and make that point. My only my only point would be that given the history uh, in Ireland, that our most famous socialist was actually Scottish, <laughs> James Connolly, who we had an episode on a while ago. Uh, whereas I can't even count how many fucking Scottish socialists and how how much of an impact they had on the history of British politics you know I just I just think it's if I was living in Scotland now and if I could stand to have hypothermia which is what I'd need to be able to stand if I wanted to live in Scotland I, I would be like there's a lot more uh, you know it's almost a cynical view there's a lot more there's much more of a foundation there to build on than there is in Ireland or in England I just I just feel there's a there's a profoundly more toxic culture towards socialist ideas in England, certainly, and in Ireland. Um, and I've always felt that, even before I moved to Scotland, even before I lived there, I've, I felt that. Even when I was working in Fetty's College, which is where Tony Blair went, even there I met socialists, you know? I mean, and that's that should you know, give you a hint that, you know, maybe there's almost a Nordic way of being about Scotland, you know, the common wheel, which is what was talked about a lot about a decade ago uh, on the left of the SNP, you know? 
So I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm always, I'm still an optimist about Scotland. I think that it has, um, has the ability to go its own way. Um, and I think at this point, I, it's the only direction I can feasibly see that has any, like Chomsky said a while ago when he was talking about people should vote for Joe Biden, he said he's a neoliberal, he's conservative, but he's not Trump. And almost at that point, you have to go, if you're, if you are faced with two options, at least, you know, at the moment, these are the options that are presented, go with the one that you think will have the least worst uh, results. And I still think the Scottish independence is the least worst of the options. Yeah, no, I definitely think it's going to happen. It's just how is it going to happen um, is the interesting question. Um, and I really think it will happen in our lifetime anyway. Well, we'll have to wait and see. But um, hopefully you guys who are listening enjoy... Oh, pardon me, it's his birthday because I was drinking wine. Um, hopefully you guys who are listening enjoyed our take. Um, only built on a lot of study of Scottish history and and Scotland being literally in James's uh, blood because uh, I injected him with tiny uh, maps of Scotland uh, when he when he was uh, drunkenly asleep one night. I felt it was only appropriate. Um, but yeah, if you enjoyed the podcast, please do share on whatever platform you're listening to this on or on Twitter or on Facebook. If you are interested in being a regular or irregular co-host of this particular podcast, you think, do you know what I can babble absolute shite for for 45 minutes then please do contact us you can do it via facebook you can do it via twitter and you can email us at anarchistreadings at gmail.com but that's going to be us uh it has been me under the jitsi handle rubbing roy and james has gone under the name jessica alba which brings up so many teenage memories for me say goodbye james goodbye james uh, that's a call back to last week's episode. Oh. Okay, guys. Bye.